conversations I've been waiting to have them Trying to change the way I speak so that they don't feel so challenged Can you see the inconsistency, come feel the imbalance I can tell you either way, yeah, ooh, that shit's a distraction I can tell you either way, yeah, ooh, this shit's a Hello and welcome to the live recording of the How I Hustle podcast with me, your host, Emma Louise Boynton. Today's event was focused on women in beauty and business, and I was joined by a brilliant panel of women. Firstly, the wonderful Shamdine Reed, who literally made nail art a thing through the now globally renowned brand War Nails. She's now bringing beauty booking software into the social media age with Beauty Stack, an app that allows you to book beauty appointments through images, and for which she's raised £6.1 million to date. In between all of this, she co-founded Future Girl Core, an events and online platform that provides a wealth of really brilliant learning material for young women in business. Next, I'm joined by journalist, author, and broadcaster Sally Hughes. A former magazine editor, she's worked for pretty much every household name under the sun and now has a regular column in The Guardian, where she is known for her intelligent, straight-talking advice and honest product recommendations that are recognized across the beauty industry as having the dealy effect on sales. She's published several straight-talking books on beauty and recently co-founded Beauty Bank, a charity that provides hygiene essentials to those who can't afford them. And then last but not least, the wonderful Celia Burton, makeup artist to the stars. She's worked with a spate of brilliant photographers from Tim Walker to Nick Knight and now works with Adwa Boa and cult US brand Glossier, who sponsored this event. Pioneering the ever-growing, less is more, no makeup look, Celia uses her tools to emphasize the natural beauty of the individuals in her chair, a look we love. Right, that's enough from me. Here's the live recording. Back. So, when I was growing up, I wanted to be every single job under the sun. Lawyer, director, tennis player, pretty much, I was quite chubby and unfit, so how I thought that was going to work out, I've got no idea. Um, and anyone who said, you can't do 10 massive careers, I was like, yes, I can. Yeah, now, it makes sense that I just want to ask everyone else about their careers. Um, so can you tell me, where did it all start? What did you want to be growing up? Shamlin, you're next to me. Um, I'm next to you and I'm also a Gemini like you as we recently found out so I can completely identify with wanting to do every single career I wanted to be um, when I was little I didn't know that it I didn't know job titles so I knew I wanted to be things but I didn't know the name so I I loved lettering my um, school books so I didn't know typography or graphic design Mm -hmm. was a job but I was like I want to just create letters and then I wanted to be a lawyer also I wanted to work in fashion, but not design, because I'm lazy. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write novels, Mm -hmm. be an artist, Um, everything. Same. I just wanted to do stuff. Absolutely everything. But I always wanted to work in fashion, but not be a designer. And that's actually the path that I ended up taking. So I went to Central St. Martins to do fashion communication, which is everything apart from making clothes. Mm -hmm. And... It brought together almost everything I wanted to do because I was like, actually, focus is key. So when you're like us and you are you like to do multiple things, it's best to have a vehicle through which you can channel all of the different things. Yeah, that is the trick. It's the focus, which I often struggle with. And Celia, what about you? What do you want to do growing up? Um, I always grew up with the idea that I'd sort of be an actress, I think, and then I didn't get into art school and... And then this makeup idea... Well, my, the makeup idea came because my auntie, who's Sally, 
randomly mm. and amazingly assisted in the 80s. Um, that's how we know each other. That's how we met. Um, she was a makeup artist, so I always knew it was a job option, but it wasn't really until she died that I said it out loud for the first time and then when I didn't get into art school and my dad who's an actor he'd given up acting so when he retired I was like right well that's it I can't act then and um and then I didn't get into art school so I thought oh I might as well be a makeup artist but I think it was always in the back of my head it was sort of planned without having without been planned plan. and it was actually yeah. at your aunt's funeral you said when yeah, you just suddenly the words kind of came. yeah it was like word vomit I was talking... It's quite a brilliant way for a career to start, through <laughs> word vomit. I think also I'm such a fantasist that I would sort of say things even if there wasn't really that much fact behind them. And so I'd say, like, these big statements, and that was one of them. And I was talking to two of my aunt's friends, um, Louise Constad and another makeup artist called Mary Van Gogh, who, you know, in the day were really... You know, they're still working makeup artists now, but they were enormously successful. And I said to them, I think I want to be a makeup artist. And... They, I think, could they sort of smelt the um, fantastical nature behind mm. it, and they said, "Right, well, if you are serious about that when you leave school, then you can get in touch with us." So that's what I did. So it was kind of bubbling under the surface, yeah. but then it was that one and, kind of pivotal but then, moment. But then, really looking back, we've got so many home videos, and a lot of them, my sister and I have been really silly and were dressed up as you know various characters, and so there was a lot of like. I was always dressing my sister up and, and there were games like um, Burton's Beauty Parlour that I'd sort of make tickets for and like, you know, as a present I'd give you a session at Burton's Beauty oh, Parlour. So like even though I'd never really said it out loud till I was about 16, it, it must have just always been there. I used to run hotels in my imaginary games, the leaning towers of something, which I mean is such an unappealing. Yeah, I, was, I was always sort <laughs> of teaching. You want to come and potentially die was, in my, my sister's tower. six years younger than me and so her friend's... Um, they would come over and I would be the sort of bossy older sister and I would always be like a teacher. It would always be that I'm bossing someone around. Oh, God, you and me alike. Same. <laughs> I was always bossing as well. <laughs> yeah. Made the rules and then just made everyone do yeah, yeah. yeah. And Sally, what about you? Um, I only ever wanted to be a journalist. That was it. Uh, what about a makeup artist? Uh, no. So um, I told uh, my father when I was four that I was going to be a journalist. And I never at had... Four. Literally at four. Wow. Well, I didn't know what the word was, but I said, I want to write in magazines and comics and newspapers. I didn't know the word journalist, but... Um, and that's where it stayed. It never changed. Unfortunately, my life took a strange path, so um, I ran away from home uh, just before my 15th birthday, so a couple of months before my 15th birthday. And um, I couldn't get work experience on magazines because I was too young to be insured in the building. And I bumped into Lynn Easton, um, Celia's auntie, in a bar. We had loads of mutual friends in a bar in Soho one night. And I was so obsessed with fashion and beauty. I said, you're Lynn Easton, and told her about all the work that she'd done. And thankfully, she wasn't freaked out. And she said, oh, well, you know an awful lot about beauty and she fashion. She probably loved it. And, um, and I said, yes, I'm obsessed. And she said, would you like to be my assistant? I've just got rid of mine. <laughs> So, um, so I was like, yeah, okay. And then um, I went back to my uh, flat that I was sharing with my much older boyfriend uh, that evening. And she called me two days later and she said, do you want to do a lint chocolate commercial? So I said, yeah, okay. So I went and did that. And then a couple of days after that, she said, do you want to do a Pet Shop Boys video? And I was like, yeah, okay. And so I did that until I was old enough to uh, work on magazines. 
And then you first started working at, was it Loaded magazine? That was my first paid job. Paid job, because I love how you got into Loaded magazine. That is a story of grit, as ever I've heard. Well, I've done lots of work experience. So I've done work experience on a magazine that doesn't exist anymore called Looks and um, Take a Break I worked on. I used to write me and my operation in Take a Break, um, which is brilliant training. It's such good journalism training. But my first proper job, um, my boyfriend at that time was a photographer, is a photographer, and he worked for Loaded quite a lot. It was a very different magazine in those days. It wasn't boobs. It was like actors and stuff. And um, he said, oh, they're looking for a work experience person in the fashion department at Loaded. So I called up the fashion department, got an interview. Um, I got there for my interview at like 10, 10.30 in this top-to-toe jigsaw outfit that I properly spent every penny I had on thinking this will kind of get me in. And the PA was on her own in the office and she said they all went to an awards thing last night and got really drunk and then they haven't, no one's turned up for work. So she said, you can wait in the fashion office if you want. So I did that, and about an hour later, I came back around, and she said, look, it's up to you. You can either wait or you can reschedule. And I thought, no, no, I'm going to wait. I'm in the outfit. So I'm in the outfit, and I have no other money now because I've spent it all on the outfit. So um, I sat (laughs) in... I can so empathise. And so I sat in the fashion office, and there was the fashion cupboard, which, as anybody who's worked on a magazine knows, is a little cubby hole kind of cupboard. And I just tried the handle, which should be locked... And it wasn't locked. And I barely opened the door and there was just a mountain of clothes. Mew Mew, Prada, Versace, all this kind of menswear in huge piles. And because I'd done so much work experience, I found the fashion monitor on the shelf. And I just started grouping together all the clothes into designers. Then I I grouped them into PR agencies. Then I bagged them up and I labelled them, found a docket book. And I completely reorganised the fashion cupboard. And so the Loaded Boys came in at two... And I've been there since like half ten or something. And they came in and and the fashion editor, Tom Stubbs, who's a really good friend of mine still, um, opened the door and he was like, bloody hell, all right. So, and then he took me down the pub. And so I started the following Monday and then they gave me a job on the Wednesday. I'm not surprised. I think I'd think you were just totally mad, but totally brilliant. I'd be like, got to have you on the team. But you've got to. You've got to. to. That's it. Because loads of people won't. And if you do. And having the confidence just to... Yeah, because... Because everything boils down to, do you make people's lives easier to be around or do you make it harder? And I think that's a really good point because I think so often, especially when you're kind of first interning your first couple jobs, you're so nervous. I remember I first started at Newsnight and I was honestly sweating into my chair. And I, was, I remember my mum texting me just saying, just remember to sit up, you're not dying. And I was like <laughs> trembling. And she was like, never underestimate what people think of you and just making a coffee or making someone a tea. And every morning I made the editor a cup of tea. I was like, can I get your coffee or a tea? something small and that's what get, ended up getting me kept on and it's just those small things just making people's lives easier and it's so easy to kind of underestimate them but it's very difficult to I mean it's very rare that you find someone who's sort of really enthusiastic in that way has you drenched their chair and sweat but still makes you tea every morning I don't know I say as well with fashion because I've you're, what you just described I had identical but a dazed and confused with Nicola and um, it's that thing of the fashion cupboard is, think of it as a system that, because you're in a creative industry, that system's going to rye. And if you're one of the rare people that have, like, left brain, right brain, and can be both creative and organised, mm-hmm. you're absolutely indispensable to that industry. So I did exactly the same. And also, when I have interns now, if they can't sort out a cupboard, I think 
if they can't take the initiative to look around my desk and be like, my desk is an absolute bombsite, let me just tidy it up so she can find her things. I'm like, you're not taking the initiative, you're not organised and you're not thinking of that exact thing. How can I be indispensable and make someone's life easier? Because I was, I kept, I was kept on by Nicola and Kim Jones for exactly that. I would organise colour. Just very simple stuff. By colour, by style, I would have all the hangers the right way round. In fact, Nicola pulled me up on it. He was like, who's putting the hangers the wrong way round? I was like, I didn't know. Never did it again. Yeah. Always did it, you yeah. know? So I think it's like... Um, when you come into any work situation, whether you're an intern or it's your, you know, your first job, I often hire people and it's their first job. I think how fast can you learn and how can you see problems before I see them? Because that's... And even if yeah. it's just in one little area, um, it can really have an impact mm. because your, your superior tends to have 120 things on their mind and the more that they can offload to you, the better. I think in the beauty industry and fashion, and as Sharmadine says, they're they're the same. We're, you know, two sides of the same coin. Um, You'll always have PRs or journalists or stylists or whatever who come along and they're like superstars, like there's a big moment for them. But when you think about the legendary PRs and the legendary journalists and the legendary influencers, say like Sam and Nick Chapman, for example, they're the grafters. They are the grafters, the yeah, ones that you never forget, the ones that everyone knows who, and they think they're a safe pair of hands and they get that kind of legendary status. They're the grafters. They're not the superstars in the beginning who kind of burn bright mm. and then burn out. They are the ones who get their heads down and work. And it's actually really easy, I think, to see, because we have such close proximity to success now through social media. It's really easy, and we kind of see people when they're at the top, to kind of assume that success kind of happens overnight, because you see the, like, end product. And what is consistent, as you've all said, kind of across everyone's different story, when you do achieve success, is just what's gone into it. And those, and just that kind of slogging away. So you've all kind of... Yeah, or it's pretend, and it's sort of make-believe life on Instagram. Oh, complete. I mean... Completely. But so you've all kind of had, obviously, combined some serendipity in terms of bumping into people, um, but then also the kind of that grit and determination. Have you had a career plan that's kind of guided you as you've gone along? No, I mean, I haven't. I've won. I've just hustled <laughs> the whole way through and made it up the whole way through. It's only now that I feel like I've sort of... I said this to you, I feel like I've sort of graduated. But I think that's because I... I didn't really assist anyone. Traditionally, the makeup artist sort of um, initiation is through being someone's assistant or at least doing like a prolonged period of time studying it. I did a five-day course with Louise Constad and then assisted for a hot minute and then ended up working. And, and totally unplanned, but um, that's just the way it went. And so I have learned on the job up until now. And like it re- last year sort of felt like a corner for me. I really... I felt like I'd sort of learned everything I needed to learn. But that's over 10 years of being on the job and pretending like everything's fine and I know exactly what I'm doing the whole way through. So that was kind of your graduation moment? I guess so, yeah. I don't know at what point it happened, but I definitely felt I sort of came of age, I feel, mm. last year. Yeah, which is amazing. And, I mean, we're all sitting here today, um, obviously kind of wanting to know how you got to where you are and what we can kind of take away and potentially infuse into our own lives. Um, so, Sharmini, I'm beginning with you. How did you take a nail salon in Dalston to a concession in Topshop? I know this involves a lot of hustling in a stall in Selfridges. So I would 
It's actually a massive jump, and it probably helps if I answer your previous question about the plan. Mm -hmm. That I had a plan for my life since I was like 12 years old. I always thought that I would move to London, become a stylist, um, end up in publishing, be an editor in chief or a creative director. That was like my path was that from age 12. I literally ordered the prospectus from Central St. Martins every year for five years to make sure the course was there, would call up on my grandma's landline. Um, you know, and when I applied for courses, I did it myself. And if you did one course, it was five pounds, but if you put three, it was 15. And I couldn't afford it, so I just put the one. I'm only going to Central St. Martins. And I plotted all my GCSEs, everything out to that. Now, when I got to London and did this degree, the minute I was on it, I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> it's like, no. Uh, After all that planning. Yeah, it was because a bit, a bit like what you said, I knew too much. I had read every magazine, every byline, credits. I knew who did what. I knew who were... By the time I got to Central St. Martins, there was like 15 girls who were just like picked it. And I, and I got that. and I was down bored. the gear again, I was, can you? I was you're bored. Too. So what I did was I worked for Nicola from the month before I started uni and the whole way through uni. And um, basically, my life was great. I was like, wow, I'm doing exactly what I planned. I was going to do shoots and then going to uni. It wasn't that challenging. Then I'd come back, do more shoots. And then... Um, when I graduated, because of all the work I'd done the four years, um, I did my year out at Arena Home Plus with a re- next to Arena, so I know that whole vibe as well. It was amazing years. But when I graduated, it meant that I got a job after two weeks because I wasn't starting at the back at the like start. everyone else. And I totally. highly recommend if anybody's studying to give yourself that head start. Um, yeah, it probably took all my classmates a year or so to get settled in a role. But the, straight away, I started working for Nike, travelled around the world, was styling. That year post-graduation was the time of my life. I was like, I'm making money, I'm hanging out with the coolest people, I'm living in the best flat. And then I bloody had the idea to open a nail salon and everything <laughs> went downhill. <laughs> I was like... Um, and it was completely unplanned for someone like me who'd planned their life from age 12. I thought WAH was going to be a little side project where I could get my nails done for free. And as you see now, they're chipped and broken. Don't get them done. Uh, I thought I could basically travel the world, come back to the salon and get my nails done and see my mates. And it just did not end up like that. Um, you know, most people know the story because I've told it a thousand times, but ultimately it was a side project that became my full-time project. The demand went crazy from the day we opened the, the stores. It, it was, like, crazy. And then I had a baby, and it was just... Everything. Else. Everything, but also not... I also missed a bit, which was when I um, graduated, I'd actually applied for a master's, mm. which I got on before I graduated. So my plan was to graduate, do a bit of styling, then start my master's. I started my master's and opened the salon... And had a baby and was still flying around the world. I was seven months pregnant when I did one of my last styling jobs. So, yeah, it was just like a lot. A lot. And then I was like, I have to pick one. Mm-hmm. So, went with Wa. Nails. Went with the baby for went a year, actually. <laughs> I really took a good year off, actually. I just, the salon was running in Topshop, but I didn't really work at all for a year that was amazing 
best year ever, me and Romy just hanging out. Then um, we got into Topshop because it was one of two jobs that I asked for. Everything else in our 10-year history came inbound. Um, I literally just... Well, because I know you want the story. (laughs) The story is is that we did a pop-up in Selfridges for a week and it was one of the most stressful times in my life, but I knew because the standards were so high. We were just some girls from Dalston. I didn't, it's the first time I like wore a hair extension because I was like, Selfridges said I must. They would put makeup on all of our girls because they said we look shit. I was like, okay. So the levels were just really high, but it was amazing to learn. But the reason I did it is I knew I could parlay a week in Selfridges into a Topshop contract because um, there were so there were very um, retail really. What Selfridges is the master of experience, mm-hmm. incredible experiences, and I knew that Topshop would look up to Selfridges, right? So I emailed the buyer and said, "Hey, I'd love to talk to you about a concession." She was like, "No, we already have a nail bar, as I'm sure you know." And then I remember sitting at my computer. I remember where I was actually in my flat and sitting and thinking, oh, no, no one tells me no. So then I just straightened back up and I replied, not in my plan. (laughs) So then I straightened my back and I just wrote back. I said, right now I have Swarovski crystals with gold tips and Chanel logos. It's called nail art. It's the future of what girls want. And your customer will want this. And we only us right now is doing anything remotely like it, like in the West, Europe. So then she went, okay, come in. So I went in and I basically had to pitch the idea of this. She gave us a pop-up for a couple of weeks and then we ended up staying and replacing the existing nail bar. So it was one of the few times where a i really wanted something and i had to do a bit more than just be like me to do it you had to really so push i had to push for it mm. and it was hard and it was hard the whole time and a bit like my degree actually um by the time i got there i wasn't even sure i wanted it so it's a lesson in kind of be careful what you wish for on two accounts you know so then then i was had to just take a break and be like which part of this journey have i enjoyed Loved bringing women together. Loved that I pioneered using social media for beauty. And then that was what led me to Beauty Stack. Sorry, that was really long. No, but I think you raised a really interesting point, this idea that it was a detour from your plan. I think that's kind of... It's a really interesting point because I think so often we feel like we need to kind of map out a plan. But equally, everyone's like, you know, take opportunities when they come your way. Don't say no. And especially when you're young and you're kind of first starting out your career, there is that pressure to grab the opportunity here, take the opportunity there, never say no, be that yes person. Um, But to what extent do you end up going... Like, How much should you allow yourself to go on these detours that do lead to wonderful things like Wild Nails? But then how do you kind of navigate back to the path that you're kind of meant to be on, that you you really want to be on? I'm 35 now. Mm. So when I look back at my 20s, I would identify with you as like, you just were like, fake it till you make it, do it, do it. And I would... When I was younger, as like I said, I I would always go, you have to have a plan, you have Mm. to have a plan... But what I look back now in my 20s is I tried a lot out. I tried so many things out in in all different realms just to see which one pleased me. And then when I found the thing that pleased me and that I was naturally good at, I was like, okay, for my 30s, this is the next stage. I'm going to build that foundation. But I would advise 
that you don't know what you really enjoy yet. You're t- like, in your 20s, you haven't tried enough stuff. Mm-hmm. Just like I didn't know what a typographer was and you didn't know what a journalist was, you know, the next stage of it is, I know what it is, but do I actually like it? Mm. So you need to test and iterate on your own career. Mm, I love that. I never had a plan. You had a four-year-old plan. <laughs> I had a plan to I had a plan to be a journalist, but there's absolutely nobody of my age who could possibly have lived their plan because the internet yeah. changed, changed everything. So so when I was forming my plan, um, the internet didn't exist, and so this huge curveball uh, was thrown at journalism and beauty and my entire industry in life, and it was a situation of. Um, are you excited by new things? Are you excited by new opportunities and new ways of communicating? Can you adapt? Can you adapt? Do you want to adapt or are you going to be grumpy and surly about it? And I'm never going to be the second thing. If something's going to change that I can't control, I want to be in it. Change with it. Mm-hmm. And like Sharmadine says, what, you have a strong plan, but the plan isn't necessarily actions. The plan is to be passionate always about what I'm doing. And I always thought, quite early on of being self-employed, which I have been since The Face closed in 2004, which was my last staff job. I was features director of The Face. The Face closed, and um, from that moment onwards, and then I had children, I went slightly mental, and um, my plan was always, I either need to massively care about it, or I need to be earning really good money from it. And once in a while, those two things collide. And that's magic. If it's something you massively care about and you earn good money, Sharmadine mentioned Selfridges. I work so closely with Selfridges and have done since 2013. It's one of my most wonderful working relationships of my career. I love them. Their sense of scale, their sense of ambition, their sense of quality is terrific. And that's been great for me. But that only happens once in a while where you really care, you really love the team and it's lots of money or it's good money. Um, But if it's not all of those things, it definitely needs to be one of those things. And if not, then why am I doing it? I could be working on something that turns me on, makes me lots of money, whatever that is. Mm. And Celia, what about for you? There was a real kind of transition point in your career, I think, when you did an ID magazine cover. Can you tell me about that? Uh, Well, I had been... I I was sort of doing lots of different jobs, like you had said... Um, in the first three, four years of my career, because I wasn't making any money off makeup and you were just just doing lots of editorial for free, you have to sort of um, make money somehow. And Annoyingly, was, you just have to yeah. pay bills. And because I was so determined to leave home as soon as I could, you, I definitely had to make money. So I was... Um, I was uh, sort of nannying and waitressing and working in a bar and doing all these things. And then I did a music video for this singer called Delta Maid. And the head of A&R for her record label came to the video shoot in Spain. And, um, and she and I got talking and I was very much involved in live music. All my friends were musicians. You know, growing up in London, we, that's what we like lived and breathed. And that was my social life. And... Um, and so I was telling her all about my friends that were making music. And then two weeks later, I get this email from her. She was called Celia as well. And she sent me an email saying, can I pick your brains about something? So I went in and she said, um, do you want to be an A&R scout? And I was like, well, I'm a makeup artist. And she was like, yeah, but I think from what you've said to me, 
you kind of are an A&R scout anyway, and you could just report back to me and I could use your information to benefit my company. Mm. And then you could just go to all the gigs for free and flirt with the musicians for free. Dream. And not that that I was paying for it before, but, but, you know, being able to get in was brilliant. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, cool. Because then also I thought, okay, well, then I could work with the musicians that I scout. So it was like a sort of circle. So I ended up being an A&R scout for like a year and a half. I actually became junior A&R at this record label called Future, which was Gary Barlow's record label. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, doing makeup at the same time. So yeah. then through that, I was sort of makeuping and making money through the record label. And they were very flexible. They let me mm. go off and do my, my makeup thing. And, um, and then I got, I had been going to New York. I had this like love affair with New York and I would save up loads of money and then go there and say that I was scouting music while I was there. So I was still on the payroll, but actually I was just having a great time and assisting makeup artists and hanging out with models. And I met Agnes Dean, who at the time, you know, it was, she was like iconic London, really, yeah, massive model. And, um, she came to her model agency where I was doing a test shoot and they said, oh, we're going to do a photo of Agnes. And then I made friends with Agnes and then I came back to London a few years later and then my dad, who's a director and an actor, he came down the kitchen stairs. I was in their kitchen for lunch or something and he said, um, oh, I've just been Skyping with your mate Aggie. And I was like, um, okay what and don't call her Aggie she's not your friend and um (laughs) and he was like well she's going to be in a play I'm casting her in a play I'm directing so she'd made the transition into acting so suddenly she was in London everyone wanted to write about the fact that she was a model turning into an actress and she said to me oh do you want to just do all my makeup for all this stuff wow so at this point I was doing a lot of makeup still doing the music stuff but not as much and then we were having lunch with my family and I was doing the washing up and Agnes leant back in her chair and she said, oh, by the way, we're doing an ID shoot on Tuesday. I think it's a cover. And I was washing up and I was... I, I remember looking at the, into the sink being like, yeah, right. I mean, that is, there's no way that that's going to happen because I know, I know what an ID cover takes. You know, pe- young makeup artists who have blagged it don't just walk onto an ID shoot and shoot the cover, you know, with these amazing teams. And also, my aunt, Linny, had never shot an ID cover. It was always this thing that, like, she'd done everything, but she had died before she'd done an ID cover. So it was like a massive sort of yeah, thing in my very head. symbolic. Anyway, so I didn't believe it. Next thing I know, I'm on set with this lovely man called Scott Trindle taking the pictures, Caroline Newell styling, um, this lovely hairdresser called Panos, who... I actually was at the same agency with randomly afterwards doing the hair and I was just completely out of my depth. Could not believe what was happening. And then, but blagging it. And, um, and then Agnes looked at me and said, we're doing the wink now. And I was like, okay, fuck, we're shooting the cover. And then it happened. And then I was on my way home and I called my flatmate at the time and said, you have no idea what's just happened. Like, I cannot believe what I've just done. And burst into tears at Trafalgar Square. And he said, come home now. And so he, he bought a bottle of Prosecco and put um, Justin Timberlake on. And we danced. And then it was like, okay, well, I've got to be a makeup a artist sort of- now. And so that's when I quit mm. music. Because it was like, this is serious. This could be good. You've mentioned blagging your way through things yeah, yeah, quite I really a lot. I have blagged but it. What do you mean by that? Because I, I think blagging always kind of, you know, you're just kind of talking your way through it. And I don't imagine, I, I imagine you on set are like... 
I don't know. I Lace. think with makeup, you can blag it. No, I... I well, maybe uh, I'm selling myself I don't short. Think, I don't think blagging means turning up not knowing what you're doing. Blagging means saying yes, then finding out how to how do to what do you it. promised exactly. to do. Saying, yeah, yeah, no, the, no problem. Of course I can do that. Yeah. A gunshot wound. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No problem. And then suddenly you're like using <laughs> Vaseline, finding like an no. old bit of lipstick, mixing it with glycerin and sort of making yeah. a gunshot wound. Yeah, it's not about being disrespectful mm, to no. the people who've given you mm. money or hired you mm. or whatever. But, but it's about saying yes, because you know it's really important that you say yes, then thinking, shit. How am I going to do this? And working out how to turn up with a game face on. And I guess because... I'm, I say blag because I never had any sort of formal extended training. Mm. So I'd never really learned to do any of it. But the beauty of makeup, and especially the makeup that I do, which is quite, um, you know, quite a quite broad range, but most of which is just making people look nice. Like, I don't... I'm not particularly um, fine arty, a lot of it is just a vibe. And quite often it's about um, making the person in the chair feel good. And actually that's just as much of the job as putting makeup on. So the blagging was more about the application. I knew how to make people feel good about themselves from the get-go. That I had down. So I, the makeup was like the second... That mm. was the bit I was blagging. Um, so I just want to go back to what you just mentioned. So you spoke of how social media so fundamentally changed journalism and actually, you know, a multiplicity of different industries. And I think now, as you kind of build your brand, it's so much about building your own kind of professional brand. I'm thinking very much about Instagram, how you kind of cultivate an online presence. Um, and then all the pressures that go with that. Um, how have you kind of developed your your online presence? So I know you also, you've said in interviews that you're quite an innately private person, but then so much of your work is so public-facing. It's about having oh, this it, real... It's really difficult. It's really difficult. And, of course, people don't know you, so they imagine things about you. I actually, you. I'm actually horrified by selfies, and yet I know that if I don't post selfies regularly, then I lose all my engagement. Um, I actually find it humiliating. humiliating. Uh, yeah, I can't stand it, but, ha- however, everybody knows that the algorithm punishes you if you don't post your face. And um, that's incredible. You must know that, right? So that's difficult because I don't want to be known for my face. And also, I know the world we live in. I'm in my mid-40s. I don't want to be known for my face. I'm a writer. However, I have no choice. Um, And I am private, and um, I don't engage in lots of the stuff that does really well on Instagram. I don't post enough. You're meant to post once or twice a day. There'll be days that go by without me posting because I just like I I just don't want to share what I'm doing. I'm often sitting in my pajamas writing. You know, there's nothing really to say. Um, if you ever see a picture of my dog, it means I look like a dog that day. Um, <laughs> no, because I'm just like I've got nothing to post, so I don't post enough. Um, I would have many, many, many more followers if I posted a picture of my face every single day. But then, what can you do? You can only be yourself. That's it. And I can't, I can't try to be somebody else. And actually, I don't want... I'm a writer. That's my job. I feel I'm like, a writer. I feel like the balance that you put out, I think it's, I think it's very well-rounded. I don't, it feels like it's still working. Uh, yeah yeah no it does it does I'm fine I've got no complaints you know I make a really good living I love my job I love the people I work with I've got I'm not complaining at all I'm saying that um there is it's it's difficult and it's a it's a payoff I am really really private 
I hate people making things up about me. It makes me nuts. Like, it makes me nuts. I actually... Everyone's got their kind of pressure points, haven't they? I actually don't care if people say I'm ugly or fat or old or they hate my writing or they hate my personality or they hate... what. I actually don't care. That doesn't really affect me. But lying about me makes me nuts. I've got so much to say on this word to begin. I think both you and I would love to do jobs that didn't require our faces. Very much so. My goal in life is to start a company that does not require my anything about me for it to succeed really yeah I mean some of the greatest female billionaires are not on the internet yeah. like you don't know their names and is that because you don't enjoy that public facing aspect of no it? no no or it's not it? that it's that it's time consuming like got so many mm. like as women we already waste so many to- so much time mm. so why add another layer to it like the time it took everybody to get ready this morning if anyone just walked out the house without even brushing their hair but some people will have spent 45 minutes curling their hair some people will have spent another 45 minutes putting makeup on i have whittled down my life to time efficiency as much as i can without looking like a crackhead <laughs> and I'd like to do that even more mm. because for example I knew I was coming here tonight I wore a nice outfit I went and got my hair done the time I took this afternoon to get my hair done I could have been sitting with the team working on my product so my goal is to build a business that requires only my intellect and not my physical appearance however I'm not there yet so on the flip side I have been an internet addict Ever. I went to a super techie school. I was like, you know, we the reason why WA got such a big following on Instagram is because we were like the first nail salon. I joined it, you know, three months after it launched. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined it to show my baby bump because I was just searching for a photo app, and then a couple about a year later I made a WA account for it. And literally there was only when I joined Instagram, like five people would like my pictures who I didn't know and I think they're probably employees of Instagram. So I'm really an early adopter of any technology, like early on Tumblr, early on Vine, early on MySpace. So I love internet culture. Um, But I've always used that internet culture and primarily publishing platforms or chat platforms um, as a way to document the things that I'm curious and interested in doing and seeing. Because do you remember I told you I was a stylist? I was travelling all over the world. I actually used Facebook mobile uploads, if any of you are old enough to remember that. I had a BlackBerry, and BlackBerry had the first integration to Facebook, so you could take a picture on your BlackBerry and send it straight to your Facebook as a folder that was called mobile uploads. So I used to document, like, I'd be doing a shoot in Wyoming with cowboys, and I'd I'd just put some pictures so my Facebook friends could see, like, the crazy life I was living you remember I'm from Wolverhampton like all of this was so glam for me I was like this is sick so then I had this turning point as many of us have had in the room which is oh it's not about documenting what I'm curious about or blogging the things I observe or just seeing what's going on but actually it's about me and like what I do and what I eat and where I go and what I look like. So creating a public persona. But I, I would love to do an Instagram like that, but now no one because but back in the day you would have a portfolio that would be your work and you'd send that out, or you would have a website that people looked at. Now everyone just goes to your Instagram page. So actually if I was a makeup artist that put loads of pictures of myself up in silly outfits out with my friends or wherever on holiday, yeah. people would be like, I thought she was a makeup artist. You've got added pressure so, to that. So actually now my Instagram is only work 
And and I find, but I wish I could just be like. You can make a separate one. I do have a stupid Finster, whatever it's called, but that's got like you know only friends like and family. But I it. remember being young and having that feeling as well. I think it's just my age. Mm. Um, when I was in my twenties, I remember actually the year I took off after having a baby. Mm. I remember the first time I didn't get a job because I wasn't out. Someone just forgot. I was just forgotten That's a about because I had a baby thing. and I wasn't out and about. That's a so, just, thing. The real so the thing. problem with the Instagram is, at the time in my twenties, I would have showed I'm on the, my Instagram. If I was still a stylist, would be inc- completely different. It would be I'm shooting with this person. Yeah. I'm flying here. I'm styling that person because you have to do that to keep your yeah, momentum. I'm relevant. Up. Plus, you're freelance, so you're you're. It's your it's your income. I think your your question about, you know, do you have a a brand strategy? Mm. All I would say, the only thing that I have ever followed religiously in terms of kind of branding, and it's the problem, actually, nearly every beauty brand in this industry that is struggling, I can always bring back to the same thing as the answer to your question, which is you've forgotten who you are. And brands that forget who they are, whether they are people, whether they are makeup brands, skincare brands, hairdressers, Brands who forget who they are are inauthentic and people can feel it. And you have to, you have to be authentic. And so sometimes I know something's going to play out really badly on Instagram and I do it anyway because I know that the people who know me, the readers who are loyal to me, know that I need to say something. So, for example, during the Repeal the Eighth campaign... There is no way anyone who's been a Sally Hughes reader for many years is going to accept me not posting about Repeal the Eighth because... I fundamentally believe in reproductive freedom for women. Now, that's not going to play well on Instagram. You are going to spend the next two weeks arguing with American Christians. It's hell. But if I don't post that, which is what I truly, truly Mm. believe, Mm. people have every right to think she's let us down, she's let herself down. So So even when you're putting yourself up for a really rough time, as I knew I was then... You have to do it because that's what people expect of you because that is you. And if you leave behind who you are, people will sniff in authenticity and they will dump you. But the problem is, is when authenticity, like you said about the algorithm, doesn't pay. Yeah. That's, that's when it becomes a bit difficult. And I think when people lose their brand identity, it's not their fault. We're suddenly on this treadmill and, um, and we're all forced to play this game. So what I think... I mean, I think about this all day because I'm now in tech. Um, What I believe is important is to think about your reliance on Instagram as a channel for your personal growth. So what I mean by that is if you've built a strategy around Instagram being the top lead generator for sales for you. So if you're a freelancer and you get all your inquiries from Instagram, if you're a brand and you sell all your products on Instagram, you're basically a slave to the algorithm. So my focus, the reason I started building Beauty Stack is because my whole ethos was likes and reblogs don't put food on the table for service industries because the service industry is so fragmented and small they've basically been left out of the algorithm in, in terms of Instagram has decided to promote influencers, influence marketers and products and brands who connect with their partnerships over all other forms of content. So a girl sitting in a nail salon on Portobello Road can't get in your feed. Yeah. You just will never see her because she's not 
contributing to the machine, the Facebook, Instagram machine. So, so she innately gets excluded. So she innately gets excluded. And the chances are that many people in this room will also never appear in the feed of people who need to see you because you're not paying in mm. to basically the... It's payola, it's modern-day, like, mafia, so then I guess. So it's modern-day mafia. So, so what I would do is think about all the other ways that you can increase your business off Instagram and off Facebook because um no Rachi said that publicly because <laughs> they're gonna get this work sorry Instagram Charlie <laughs> struck off the algorithm and perseverance but more. I just think it's important mm. not only um not only for the fact of like it's better to diversify your portfolio of yeah. income anyway but just to flex other muscles mm. like for example if you're used to being on this treadmill of all I do is create content and post all day because that's what gets me jobs. You forget how to write a nice email. You forget how to hold a dinner party. You forget how to just network and be interested in people. And most of the times when I was younger in my 20s and I got jobs, it's because I was just so curious. I would be like, well, how did you get your job? What do you do? What's it like to live there? Da, 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 da. I'd be like asking them all these questions. And that's why people hired me is because I had all of this energy. So I think... Right now, we're in an era where we're forgetting to flex social muscles that don't involve photography and yeah. selfies and yeah. self. But even and a I think of, that's critical. Completely. A friend of mine who's a photographer, who's quite young, she was saying to me, because she's 26, and, so she, and her whole career was built on the fact that she had this lovely um, mood to all her photos, on very Instagram, sort of, you know, aesthetically pleasing. And she is now doing very well but she's frustrated that um she doesn't know anyone she's sort of booked because of her work but she doesn't really know anyone because her she's always just been either behind a camera or behind a phone and at home and so she was like you know you've got to take me out with you because i've just realized i don't know anyone one of the most important reasons why i decided to stay on this path of beauty services as opposed to beauty products, is because I know that with a service, you always have to meet another human. And it just meant that no matter what, I felt like I wouldn't be... um, My values wouldn't be compromised Mm. about... Like, I'm a capitalist, but I would also believe in humans and community. Mm. And I was like, at least with services, it physically has to happen Mm. somewhere. And um, that will never die. Mm. No amount of technology will replace somebody holding your hand touching your hair massaging your face and i was like okay this is how i satisfy my global tech company ambitions you know my big company building ambitions but actually i feel like i'm empowering these women economically i'm not making them slave to an algorithm and i'm facilitating these human connections and that's that's what keeps me going i couldn't agree with sharmadine more that's completely correct everything she's just said i, I you cannot in, in my opinion, speaking only for myself and for anybody really who wants to have any longevity, you cannot have it that your job is Instagram. You ca- it cannot be that your business, your brand, your personality, the way you make money is one app. But it is because for all lots apps, of people. But it shouldn't be because what will you do when another app comes along? And there is always another like app. TikTok uh, now uh, is TikTok the new now, thing. right? Exactly. So something falls by the wayside, something else comes in. That cannot be your life. You have to have, um, you have to have muscle memory for other skills, absolutely. And I... The reason I don't post enough is because I will always prioritise something I have to write because that is my job. And 
your job is to put on makeup, your job is to run a business, and that is our job. And you have to put that first because you need an anchor. Mm. And that's really interesting. It actually comes back to um, what you said at the very beginning of the conversation, Charmaine, about kind of the need of kind of focus, especially for Gemini's. Okay, me. Um, and actually something you said at an event we were both at the other day, um, your new mantra is, uh, the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing, which I love and I'm really trying to apply to my life. But, I mean, all of you have spoken, you know, this evening about all the things that you've juggled throughout your careers and continue to juggle now. How do you identify the main thing and then really keep focusing on that whilst also doing everything else? So doing the online stuff, kind of doing everything else that kind of bolsters your brand I guess everyone is different but for me the main thing has to be the thing that gives me flow so it's the thing where I just disappear into myself and I'm just not even aware of what I'm doing it's just happening so you might be a chef who cooks or you might be a gardener who gets that flow from planting bulbs or whatever it is the thing that gives you flow which is never the internet it's never scrolling as enjoyable as it is and we all love it yeah. it's never the thing that gives you flow it stops the flow the thing that gives you flow if you can pay your bills with it that's yeah. the thing that's the main thing um, for me, I think that I always try and have a niche even within the realms of trying lots of things out. So I quickly realised that I was really good at, when I was a stylist, at youth, subculture and sport and streetswear mm-hmm. styling. It was something that Nicola and Kim had pioneered and no one else at my level was doing, like assistant level was doing it. So I was like, I'm only going to do this. So if you want like... A dress story, that's not me. And what it meant was that because I had a main thing, Mm. but within this big realm, um, when somebody wanted to hire someone, they always thought of me first for that. So, for example, like, within sport, streetwear, subcultures, girl culture, I made a documentary with Tyrone Le Bon. I did loads of styling. I did loads of brand work with Nike, Reebok, Adidas, all of them. But they were all along the same lines. Um... It's really funny because I just hired a production assistant and someone asked her, how do you, did you meet Sharma? And she said, 10 years ago, Sharma messaged me on Facebook and cast me for a Nike shoot. And I was like, oh my God, I remember all of that. It was that I had an idea about teenagers double dressing. I wanted to find teenage best friends. I was in a flow and I did this whole thing from start to finish and it was one of the most pleasurable work things of my life. But I, it wasn't like I was you know, doing a shoot, like I said, on print dresses or something. I had a very specific main thing. And then with Wah, I had that vibe again where I was like, okay, beauty's huge, nails not so huge, but within nails, there's still an industry. But how can I narrow down my focus within that? Because if anyone thought of creative nails, they always thought of us, like, even now, people still message us as if we exist. I closed it. And ask for nails for stuff. And it was like, I'm only going to do that. And then in that turning point with Beauty Stack, it was me reflecting on my past career and being like, okay, the main th- right now, I have a couple of main things. So I'm doing exactly what the guy told me to do. Not, did, I'm okay, not good, because my main um, things list is like that long. <laughs> but what it is, I turned around to myself and I said, if it's not beauty, mm-hmm. technology, women and education, I'm not doing it. So there are so many other things that I want to be involved in, like with politics, with childcare, education. Um, I 
I've chosen to not do it and it's painful it's for me. So when, when there's brilliant projects like Beauty Banks that ticks all, like, a few of my boxes, I'm like, thank God, there are all these things that I can get involved mm-hmm. in. Um, but still remain in your... Totally. And, and then I guess in the sort of slightly more vapid version in the makeup, me being a makeup artist... It's not vapid. I was going to say, stop talking about yourself. You know what I mean. It's no, not the greater good. See, it's just you, like... Well, I disagree. I disagree. Can you not talk about my friend in that way, okay, please? Sorry. My friend is not a blagger and she's not vapid. Okay, sorry, like, I'll stop saying No, that. but it's super important because, as you've mentioned a couple of times, you are a counselor and a therapist, yeah. and I told a oh, stylist... So make people feel good. Make people feel good. I told yeah. a stylist yesterday, I think you should do a counselling course. Yeah. Because you're a celebrity stylist, half your job's Oh, my God, talking people off a ledge. Yeah. But what I was going to say is I was always, about three or four years ago when I, I left an agency and I sort of had to reinvent myself, a friend of mine who's a photographer, he was like, well, you know, it's really difficult to book you because no one really knows what kind of makeup artist you are. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, you do a bit of everything, so we can't put you in a box. And he said, I think you just need to work out your niche and then you'll be all right. And so I, I spent like a year being like, oh, God, okay. Um, all right, I'll try this. So I'd sort of go a bit arty and then be like, no, 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 I hate that. Oh my God, that's rubbish. Because also I think everything I do is rubbish. And then when it comes out and it looks oh God, nice, I'm like, oh my God, yeah. I'm actually quite good. But it takes that time to realise. It's quite but, satisfying though when you're like, yeah. oh, you read back something you've read and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, bloody, yeah. Um, but uh, I actually think, he's a great friend of mine, but I actually think that that's rubbish because my niche actually is just as broad as making people look nice. And I think really what I've developed is confidence in that rather than nervousness about all of it. And so I guess, yeah, focus is probably key. It's about, like, finding a a lane in your main thing industry and i'm constantly want to um leave time for people to ask questions so just to wrap up um if there is a single piece of advice um what is a single piece of advice that you would give to your previous self as you're starting out in your career don't let boys distract you (laughs) oh that's a whole life um yeah no but i think for women it's important i think strong women attract a certain type of man or woman um who can either elevate you or destroy you and I think that when you're a powerful independent woman certain people are magnet I can see so many people nodding their heads by the way like (laughs) no literally I just glanced the room and I saw a few head nods because it's it's really important and will ruin everything will ruin everything and if I had one piece of advice to my younger self it would be to avoid red flags because you they you see them and, and the then fairy you run tales, straight through. The fairy tales told you to ignore them. Yeah. So, but what about avoiding the stereotype of like successful women that are alone? I just watched Little Women, so. Oh, I loved it. So you know, so do you know good. what? I I believe there are incredible men out there who are wholly supportive of women. They usually have feminist mums. I've met quite a Absolutely. few of them, and they do exist. But what I what I feel is that when I was younger. I spent such a huge chunk of my time negotiating someone else's issues mm. and I, I I dread to think how much further I'd be in my career if I hadn't done that. And I wish I kind of had... Like, I'm away from my family, right? So I wish that I kind of had more of my aunties around me to, to say... See the red flag and yeah, to see the red flags Mm. because I didn't. And when you're in London and you're just trying to hustle and 
you know, you're building your business, it's, it's so easy to get sucked in. And to be honest, it might not be a partner. I've seen it happen to best friends. I've seen um, abusive two-girl best friend relationships. I've seen one girl suck an entire girl's life out in a narcissistic fashion for five years so what I would say in your 20s you're incredibly vulnerable to people taking advantage of you and I would say to my younger self set your boundaries and watch for those red flags because they'll hold you back God, what a brilliant piece of sorry, advice. Sorry, so a bit no, down, that's, down no, no, the end, sorry. But I, I would just say that focus is so... that um, Staying focused on what you, what's happening in your... Especially with the Instagram culture, and especially as a makeup artist, it's so damaging and time-consuming looking at what everyone else is doing. And I would just say, for God's sake, Celia stop worrying about what everyone else is doing and just, just do, you. do you. Yeah, They're, yeah, they're both completely that. solid bits of advice. They're completely true. I suppose the third thing for me, if you were specifically looking at working in beauty as a career, what I would say and something that I've always lived by and it's really, really helped me, I think, is don't get involved. Don't get involved in people's drama. Don't get involved in people's rifts and feuds and gossip. Don't be in the clique. Turn up, look at the product, walk away. Go home and be with your your actual friends. And it's like you can really like the people you work with. And you do, and I do. I don't have any kind of beef or disagreement with yeah. anybody. I get on with any, everybody. I like everybody. I don't throw tantrums or anything like that. But just don't get sucked into the dramas that, that people have. Sure. Just sail yeah. through it. Just keep an eye on what you're doing and don't think about everybody else and their stuff. A third brilliant piece of advice. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the How I Hustle podcast with me, Emma Louise. Please don't forget to subscribe and listen to all our future episodes. And please, if you have time, leave us a review as it'll help others find the podcast too. Bye.